to 1 Corinthians 14. We're continuing our walk through 1 Corinthians 14, how we can love the body. And one of the ways that we love each other is by serving and doing what's best for the other person. Have you ever been to the doctor and he or she starts using medical terminology you don't understand? And you get to the end of the conversation and you look at him or her and you say, Hey, doc, just speak in plain English. They were speaking English the whole time. You just didn't understand what they were saying because it was large terminology. Uh, what you're meaning is speak in a way that I can understand. Or perhaps you're trying to get your computer fixed and you call into the help uh, helpline and they start using all this terminology and you're like, um, could you please just speak in normal language? Now, they're, they're speaking in normal language, normal language for them. You just don't understand what they're saying. So what you mean is use words that I can understand. It happens in life when we're dealing with a person who has a set of terms that we don't use and we don't understand. This can happen when we go to the mechanic or to a stockbroker, and they have all these terminology that we just don't understand. They're, they're saying something true. We're just, it's just not getting in. Unfortunately, this can happen in spiritually as well. Sometimes we'll get home from church, and if Caroline's sitting in the service like she is today, she'll get home and she'll say, Dad, I had no idea what you were saying. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, daughter. And so uh, sometimes we do that. Even spiritually, we say things. But being a Christian means we use our minds as well as our spirits and our hearts. So, you know, we're not so, so spiritually minded that we check out our brains. And really, that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 13. The situation in Corinth is this. We looked at that last week. The people were using their gifts. And remember 1 Corinthians 14. It isn't about the gifts. The gifts were the illustration. Paul could use numerous other things. But all he was saying was there's something happening. Christians, in your assemblies, you're not looking out for the interests of the other person. So last week we looked at, you speak to, you speak to edify. We, we strengthen and we encourage and we build one another up. And then we seek to edify. We look for ways in order to do that. And I think times like this are great times that we can seek how to edify people. Sending emails and texts and encouraging notes and encourage, just encouraging one another. Just to keep on keeping on and hang in there. And we're with you in this. And we're, we're in this together. Those are encouraging things. And so that's what Paul says in the first part of 1 Corinthians. So let's pick up at verse 13. I'm only going to um, look at, look at a, uh, the rest of the part of this chapter. And then next week we'll pick up again. And Paul, remember, is, is speaking about this. That the Corinthians were doing things that were not helping other people. They were puffed up. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13. For this reason... And now Paul says... This is why I've been telling you all this. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. See what Paul's saying? Already, it's that same theme. You're doing your little thing, but it's not helping anybody else. And so what Paul is switching to now in 1 Corinthians 14, 13 and on, notice what he says. He says, I, if I pray in my spirit, I also need my mind to be fruitful. If I'm praying uh, in my spirit, I also pray with my understanding. So Paul is saying this, engage your brain. He's saying have a fruitful brain. What he's saying is be a normal Christian. In other words, we are 
supernaturally powered. We are cleansed by God. All those things that are supernatural. But we also live in this world. And so what Paul is saying is this. Edify through understanding. In other words, edify through your brain. If you've ever taught a lesson or done anything and somebody comes afterwards and they say, that was really deep. It's not a compliment. What they're saying is, I had no idea what you were saying. (laughs) And some people pride themselves on being very deep, but it doesn't help. These Corinthian Christians were were so enamored with this uh, being able to speak in the languages that they hadn't studied. And it was spectacular. But Paul's saying that's not the point. And so he, he is addressing them specifically for their situation. And so uh, they were coming from these pagan backgrounds. And so coming from these pagan backgrounds, that they had these spiritual components. But Paul says this, you also need to engage your brain. And so Paul is... Uh, reprimanding the Corinthians for saying you are you are spiritual yeah but there's this irrational part to you you're checking out your brain have you ever run into those believers and they believe all kinds of things and they they just have all these ideas and you're like that doesn't really make any sense that's what Paul's saying. Paul says just because we're spiritual doesn't mean that we check out our, our reasoning, just that we check out our logic, just that we check out our brains. And so Paul is faulting the Corinthians for that. They were doing all these wild things, and they thought that they were being super spiritual. But Paul's saying it's not benefiting anyone else. A commentator summarizes the significance of this unfruitful mind in this way. The last word implies that the human intellect in this kind of ecstatic praying lies dormant. In other words, what Paul was saying is in your spiritual fervor, your mind is not being engaged. It's suggested in raptured fellowship with God when the human spirit is in such deep hidden communion with the divine spirit that words at best spoken utterances of our secret selves are formed by spiritual upsurging required no mental effort. What Paul was saying to the Corinthians is you're so caught up in this that it's not requiring any mental effort. And so as we speak to one another and as we love the body, as we encourage one another, we need to edify what? Through understanding, through engaging our brain. This type of irrational focus was well known in the Greco-Roman world that the Corinthians lived in. E.R. Dodd, in his book, The Greeks and the Irrational, shows how widespread and deeply rooted the notion of the irrational was in pagan concepts of prophecy, enthusiasm, and, and, and oracular or words. And so in this pagan context of Corinthians, the people at the temple would get caught up in these ecstatic things and they thought they were super spiritual and nobody else knew what was going on. In fact, people maybe thought that they were not all together there, and they literally weren't all together there because they had disengaged their brains. So what does Paul tell us? Paul tells us that when we are in a gathering, when we are with the body, when we are, are together, we need to engage our brains. That's the very reason why these pagan visitors into this worship service would look at what was happening in the Corinthian service and say, you know what, what this looks like, all this kind of going on, this looks like it does down at the pagan temple. There's not much difference. Because if you were in Corinth at the time, what Paul was reprimanding the Corinthians for was exactly what was happening at the pagan temples. And so these pagan worshipers would come in, and they're like, you people are acting just like the pagans do. And Paul says, that's why I don't want you to do that. I want you to edify through understanding. I want you to engage your brain. I want you to, to you know, use your rational the thinking. Use your logic. Lose, do all those kinds of things. The mind controls human speech to other people. Do you know how incredible human language is if you think about it? 
you breathe in air, and it, your lungs force the air out through your vocal cords, and your mouth is moving, and your tongue is moving, and your lips are moving. And it's amazing that through those sound waves that are hitting your ear right now, you can understand what I'm saying. Because in your mind, you have a whole catalog of vocabulary, a whole catalog of language. And it's an incredible thing if you think about it. And how God has designed us to communicate. And it is, it, is, it is a wonder of us. We look at ourselves and know that we're fearfully, wonderfully made. And so we'll think about our eyes. or just. But your capacity to communicate in language is one of the parts that makes you wonderful. Dogs don't do that. Dolphins don't do that, even though they have the squeaks and stuff. It, we have the capacity to communicate. And so what Paul was saying is this, that if you, you are not super spiritual if you shut off your mind. He didn't agree. His understanding is not simply individualistic, but it's communal. And so what Paul was saying was, in these moments when you're, when, Corinthians, when you're so caught up and it seems like you are acting like the pagans, you are only thinking about yourself. Why? Because Paul's point was, in verse 17, you are, you are giving thanks, but nobody else is edified. He says, I will pray with my mind, I will sing with my mind. A person Praise and sings with what? Our entirety of our being. And Paul insists on the rational, but not the rationalistic. In other words, the rationalistic is, well, there's no, ways that, there's no way that miracles can happen. And there's no, 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 no. It's not rationalistic, but he's saying we are to be rational. We are to be just normal people as we worship together and as we pray together and as we sing together. And when a Corinthian prayed in a language, a foreign language he didn't know, his spirit might have some emotional you know, excitement, but nobody else was being edified. And so Paul says in verse 16, the litmus test and the, the, was the intelligibility and the rational part of praising God. It's also called thanksgiving. So what does he say? It's in the spirit. It's a spiritual part of us, but it's also the, the rational part of us. And so what happens is the New Testament says that when you come together, there needs to be some edification through understanding like our brains not our brains only but it's not all emotional it's both of those together so when we sing it's not just an emotional experience but my mind is engaged and i'm thinking about the words and i'm looking at what jesus did for me and i'm thinking about all of those things and so what happens is because my mind is engaged then my emotions are engaged and paul says this both of those work together have you ever been in the car, maybe, and a song comes on, and it's, it's the right song at the right moment, and, you're, and this song goes, and all of a sudden, you start, you start thinking about your life and about your circumstances, and you just maybe start crying, or you just get choked up. What is that? Your mind, you engaged your mind, you thought about what was being said, and then your emotional part of you. And so Paul says this, you, you let your mind lead, you think about all that Jesus did for you, and you can't help but be emotional. You can't help but be grateful. You can't help but fall down and praise in all of all that God is. And so what he says is, he says, I want you to edify in your assembling together with intelligibility. What, why does he say that? Look at verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Isn't that amazing? 
Paul says five words that you can understand are more than 10,000 words in some way that you don't understand. Now, I don't know how long does it take to speak 10,000 words. It takes a long time. It does. And what Paul is saying is, what's the, what's the difference? The difference is understanding. Have you ever read one of those little quotes or, or one of the memes that goes around on the internet? And it's like this profound, uh, a profound idea and just a simple statement. You're like, wow, I never thought about that before. That's what Paul's saying. In that brevity of those words, it's your understanding. So as we gather together, yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's an emotional time, it's, but it's, we don't check out our brains. Engage your brain. Now, Paul tells another thing to the Corinthians that's instructive for us as well. He says, listen, listen to the word. Here's what he says. Look at verse 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. We can grow old, but not grow up. And what happens is, we said this earlier in Corinthians, chronological age has nothing to do with maturity. You can be 80 and still act like an 18-year-old, right? Or you can be 30 and act like a 50-year-old. Like maturity and chronological age don't always go together. Now, the Bible assumes that they will, which is why it says, as you, you know, wisdom comes with getting older. It just assumes that that doesn't happen for everybody. And Paul says this, in your think, what you're thinking, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In other words, he's saying, when it comes to sin, you should be uh, maintain this innocence and maintain this, this perspective. But, it, but he contrasts that with in your thinking. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? When those people from the pagan temples come in and they see you doing what they're doing and they're going to be like, you are crazy. Now, Paul's saying sometimes uh, I've heard Christians say, yeah, I'm crazy for Jesus. Yeah, but crazy for Jesus, like in faith and trust is one thing, but crazy that nobody can understand what you're about is another. People need to understand who we are and understand what we're about. And so that's what he says. And so what does Paul say? Okay, Corinthians, I would rather speak five words you understand than 10,000 words you don't understand. And the reason is, if you don't understand it, how are you going to do it? He starts this with this admonition. He says, you need to, to, to kind of grow up in your faith, is what he's saying. So Paul starts with this admonition not to have a childish show-off mentality. Because what were the Corinthians doing? In all of their ecstatic utterances and all the things that they were doing, really what they were doing is they're like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I can do this. And you can't, right? Look at me, look at me. And Paul's like, okay, Shirley Temple, sit down. You kind of need to get over yourself and you need to not have this look at me mentality. And that's what the Corinthians were doing, because if it's all me and you're all about you and then somebody comes in, we're like, what is going on in here? And so that's what Paul says. And the reason is, is the reason is because we need to listen to the word. He quotes Isaiah and this is Isaiah's rebuke to his contemporaries who kept asking for miraculous signs that God was going to deal with them in judgment as the prophet said he was going to. So the people in Isaiah's time, 
uh, Isaiah had this message. And if you've ever read through the book of Isaiah, it can be a long book sometimes. It's over and over and over of what? Judgment and of judgment and of judgment. And instead of the people just listening to Isaiah's word, they were saying, okay, Isaiah, prove it. We're not going to do what you say unless you do something for us. Have some kind of sign, have some kind of miracle, have some kind of thing. And so what Isaiah does is he rebukes these people, and Paul quotes that. And so, the, the, so these were God's covenant people, and Isaiah was saying, you need to repent of your ways or you're going to go into exile. You need to repent of your ways so you can be restored back to the land. The people were saying, we don't believe you unless you do some wonderful sign for us. And what Paul is saying, these were the unbelievers. Those people, those covenant people who did not listen to Isaiah's words, they were the unbelievers, even though they were part of God's covenant people. And so Paul has a a strict warning for the Corinthians as well. What does he say? Okay, Corinthians, the reason I want you to edify with your minds is nobody's going to be able to listen. What what does Isaiah say? Look at verse 21 again. I speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. Remember that word for listen in the Old Testament is not, are you hearing the words? Use this illustration a couple of times. If I tell the kids to go clean their rooms and they're still on the computer, and I say, are you listening to me? If they're sarcastic, they will say, yeah, I heard every word you said. (laughs) But I don't mean, did you hear the words? I want you in your room, clean in your room. That's what the word listen is in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Listen means to obey. In fact, you can substitute the word listen for obey. Let's, let's, Let's do that with Isaiah. I will speak to these people, but even then they will not obey me. And that's what Paul's point is. Paul's point is, in this, this wonderful show of all these things that were happening, nobody's able to obey. Nobody's able to do what the Lord wants them to do because they can't understand what you're saying. It's like the doctor speaking in all these terminology. You're like, doc, I don't know what to do. Bring it down a little so I can understand it. And that's all Paul was saying. And so what Paul is saying is, we need to listen what? Listen to the word. These people in Isaiah's day consider themselves sophisticated and, and mature they said, you know, God, you're wrong. Uh, this, this elemental teaching is for babies, but we're, we're, we're smarter than that. Isn't it true that some of the most profound things we learn about the spiritual life are the simplest things? They don't have to be deep. They don't have to be elaborate. They don't have to be these wonderful way out things. But sometimes it's just the simplest thing. And we, if we take pride in making things so difficult and pride in making things so hard that people can't understand it, Paul would say, bring it back a little bit. You need to be able to understand it. You need to be able to be encouraged by it. You need to be able to obey it. And if it's something that you're not able to understand or obey, then you need to what, start speaking in another language, like in a, in a more simple language. Isaiah was talking to this inside believers, to people that were in the kingdom. They were supposedly believers. And so Paul is doing the same thing to the church. He's quoting to these unbelieving Corinthians. In other words, they loved the show, but their lives never changed. We kind of tend to do that in Christianity if we're not careful. We love the show. We go to the conference. We go to the, we go to the concert. We go to the thing, and uh, we go to uh, church camps are, 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 uh, can do this as well. 
and there's these, you know, emotional times, and there's these big times, and we say, Lord, I'm all yours. And then we get in the car and go home, and we forget about what we've done. The emotion wears off. And that's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. You know, in these wonderful, ecstatic times, your life isn't really changing. You are not listening to my word. You're not obeying my word. Remember, it's not about the emotional high, but it's about the obedience. And you know what? Obedience doesn't feel good sometimes. It really doesn't. One of the best pieces of advice that I had read was you need to make decisions against yourself. That's really what obedience is, isn't it? I really want to reach in to that refrigerator and get another whatever, but I'm going to make a decision against myself. I'm not going to do that. Whatever that is in our lives, we make decisions against ourselves, and that's what obedience is, and that's what Paul is reminding these Corinthians that you don't need these continual miracles of faith or to remain steadfast, steadfast in your faith. You need the Word, and the Word is what edifies. The Word is what changes us. The Word is where the power is. You, you have the Word. Paul says, Corinthians, you don't need anything else. And if you're waiting for something else, you are still living in disobedience while you're waiting for that thing. Hasn't God told us a lot, lot, given us a lot of commands that we could obey right now if we wanted to? We don't have to wait for anything. We don't have to wait for any sign. We don't have to wait for any uh, uh, fireworks in the sky. We don't have to wait for anything. God says, I've given you my word. Just listen to it. And that's what Paul was critiquing the Corinthians for. And if we're not careful, instead of doing what we know we need to do, we stall and we say, Lord, I'm not going to do this unless you prove yourself or unless you show yourself. Or unless I see it written in the sky. And that's what Paul was faulting these Corinthians for. He says, in the showmanship, in all of these things, you're not listening. You're not obeying. So that's what Paul is reminding us. To listen to the word. The last thing he tells us in this passage is this. Communicate clearly. This is what convicts. He says, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying. What is prophecy? That's that forth telling of God's word. You know, we have, a, we have great opportunities to prophesy today. Do you know how that is? When we come across people, uh, even ourselves, if we are fearful or anxious in these times, and we recall God's word, or we recall that we cast our anxiety upon the Lord, and he will lift you up, what is that? That's prophesying. That's, that's foretelling the word of God, applying it to the situation. That's all Paul's talking about. It's not predicting the future. It's not something uh, from God dropping it. All it is... Prophets is forth telling. It's here's God's word. That's what the prophets were. They had God's word, but they were applying it to their day. And so what Paul is saying is that while you are doing that, people can understand. If an unbeliever comes in, they are look what happens. They are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secret of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. God's presence was known among the Corinthians. Uh, of these churches, when unbelievers heard clearly and they were convicted of their sin. This intelligibility of what was, the message was met the spiritual needs of the non-Christians as well. D.A. Carson observed this, It will not be surprising if they, the outsiders and believers, simply concluded that the believers were possessed if all they were doing was these ecstatic things that the pagans did and the unbelievers would come in and like, Man, you are possessed like the people at the temple. Paul says you need to speak clearly, communicate clearly, because then that's when the conviction happens, when I understand. And so Paul's saying, you don't need the show. 
And we, we want the show sometimes. We want the fog machines and the strobe lights and all that. And Paul says, you got the word. Obey the word. And when you communicate the word, then people will be convicted of their sin. It's the scripture cited in verse 21 that is fulfilled, right? Because people understand and now they can obey. And so when the outsiders come in and there's this just cacophony of noise and all the, all the things that were going on because believers are so puffed up about how wonderful they were and everybody's doing it at the same time. And Paul says, okay, church, bring it down. If non-believers are here, they need to understand what is going on. And when they're confronted with that, they have these rational, intelligible words from God. And all this, all this does is it elevates the value of understanding in the assembly when we are together. And so what does Paul say? God is really among you. Unbelievers are touched in such a way, in such a way that they understand who they are. The acts of, of worship when they say God is really among you is, uh, do you remember the story of Naaman in the Old Testament? Naaman was a Gentile. He had leprosy. And uh, the girl said, here's what you need to do. You need to go dip yourself in the river seven times. And Naaman's like, well, can't you just wave your hand over me and heal me? And like, no, you need to go do this. And so when Naaman did that, he was healed. And what does he say? He says in 2 Kings 5.15, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. Naaman was not saved but what he saw was what? The power of God. And that's what Paul is saying. When lives are changed, when your life is changed, you're obeying the word of God and the word of God has power in your life. Even non-believers are going to look at you and say, wow, there is power. God is among you. Paul said the, the sign was not this, all the goings on, but it was when believers listened to the word and obeyed the word. And that happens today. I mean today. I don't mean today generally. I mean today, Sunday, March the 15th. That happens today. When people say, how... Are you calm during these anxious times? And you say, I trust God's word. I know who God is. I believe that God is who he says he is from his word. Do you know what you're doing? You are doing exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. That when non-believers hear that, they, what will they say? Wow, God is really with you. It's not the fact that you have to do all these wonderful things, but it's simply obeying the word. And when people see you obeying the word and it lives out in your life and people look at you and they really do think you're crazy, not because you're doing all these things that Paul was warning the Corinthians, but you have a faith and a trust and a steadiness. That's all Paul's saying. And so what Paul is telling us is the same thing. We need to communicate clearly, understand where our hope is. Paul says the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So how can you love the body? How can you do these things? How can you actively put the needs of others above your own? The first way is what? Engage your brain. Paul says in Ephesians, you were taught with your regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. You know, most of our problems in life come from stinking thinking. Most of the smelly situations we get ourselves in are because we have stinking thinking. And Paul says the difference between the old and the new, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is that regeneration. But Paul says what? To be made new in the attitude of your mind. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Peter says, with minds that are alert and sober. 
These times today call for that, don't they? For minds that are alert and sober. In this sense, sober isn't the opposite of drunk. It just means that you have your wits about you. You have this sober, you have this sober look, uh, this realistic look out of the world so that we don't have to panic or fear, but at the same time, we use common sense. And so with, with sobriety, we look at what's happening in the world and we can act accordingly. And that's what Paul or Peter's reminding us in 1 Peter. You see, Christianity is a reasonable faith. Faith and reason are not opposed to each other. If something sounds crazy that's happening in a church it probably is years ago um some every once in a while these revivals spring up around the world and people flock to these revivals and so one of these revivals in florida this guy was going on and on and to prove that there was something great and spiritual happening the guy um his his persona was you know he wore like uh, army boots and stuff um so so to prove that this was a spiritual thing that was going on he actually kicked a lady in the face Okay, so she is coming for prayer, and bam, he just lets her have it in the face. Now, he would say, that's because I'm super spiritual. <laughs> I would say, you're crazy. And I think Paul would concur. No, you're, use your mind. You don't kick people in the face to put God to the test. That's all Paul's saying. So love, your, you engage your brain. You put, you put other needs above your own by, by what? So, so soberly viewing the situation. The other thing we do is rely on the word. First Corinthians 10, we looked at it a few weeks ago. These things happen to them as examples and were written down for us as warnings on who the culmination of the ages has come. Paul says all those things in the Bible were what? Were written for us. I don't know about you, but um, I, I, I try to read a psalm a day. That's kind of, you know, and I don't know, but over the last week, those have taken on new meaning in this world. I mean, it really has. You look at those prayers, and when and times are anxious and times are, are uncertain like they are now, and you read those psalms and the experiences that Paul says, those things were written for us as examples and as, as encouragement for us. And God's word really does have the power. So I rely on the word. James 1 says this, Therefore get rid of all moral filth, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James says, don't merely just listen. Don't hear the wah-wah-wah, the words, but do what it says. That's what true listening means. And the third thing we do is we communicate clearly. It's the word that does the work. Misunderstanding is like a dull sword. If you have a dull axe and you have to chop a tree down, it takes forever if the job's ever going to get done and you're going to be so sore and so tired and you're going to hit one of those times and you know the boom thing. Where, but a sharp axe gets the job done. And that's what Paul is saying. As we use this, as we understand God's word, there are those spiritual giraffes that seem very high in their understanding. And we look at them and we say, man, someday I want to be like you. You are so smart. And you, I don't understand the words you're saying, but it sounds really smart. What does the Bible call us as the people of God? Are we giraffes or are we sheep? We are sheep. Have you ever seen a sheep eating the tops of the trees where the giraffe eats? No. But what does the giraffe do? The giraffe can bend that long neck and it can eat off the ground where the sheep are. And so that's what Paul's saying. 
Yes, in your maturity and your wisdom, you may feel like a giraffe, but if you can't eat down with the sheep, they're not getting fed. They're not understanding. They're not, don't know what you're doing. And that's what Paul is telling us as the church. He says, well, we, we, we communicate clearly. Revelation 1.16 says this, in his right hand, this is about Jesus, he held seven stars and out of his mouth, remember what this says, was a sharp double-edged sword. That's Jesus. The word of God is the sharp double-edged sword. In fact, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Why is it sharper? It penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. It's not so much that we are, that we are in God's word. It's that God's word is in us. We get into God's word, not to become a spiritual giraffe, but we get into God's word so that God's word gets into us. Then we listen, we obey. And as God's word gets into us, what does it do? It does that surgery that gets right down into the middle of joints and marrow. I mean, that's biologically impossible to do with a scalpel, but that's what God's word does. God's word does things that even a surgeon's scalpel can't do in our lives. And that's why we're in it. And we're in it so that it gets into us. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as the apostles were preaching and speaking about the word of God, and the Holy Spirit had come and had powered the apostles. Do you remember what happens? Peter stood up with the twelve in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the visitors from Rome. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? In the very beginning, in Acts chapter 2, what did they want to know? They wanted to know, what does this mean? That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 14. What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. But then Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd. And with the 11, he, he, goes, he, ta- he preaches that first sermon. He uses the keys to open the kingdom. And so, so the miracle wasn't in the speaking, but it was in the hearing. Peter just spoke in his Galilean language, but everybody else heard it in their own language. So really, the miracle was in the hearing, not in the speaking, because he was only speaking one way, but everybody was... Wouldn't that be cool? Like, if you could go somewhere where there was people who spoke Spanish and French and Russian and German, and all you had to do was speak in English, and they would all hear you, uh, the message. That's exactly what was happening. And so Paul is picking up on this phenomenon, and what is he saying? It piqued their curiosity... They asked, what does this mean? And then Peter stood up and used the keys to the kingdom. We love the body of Jesus Christ. We love the body when we communicate, when we rely on the word, when we obey the word. And it's not about us for for showmanship getting the attention. All the attention goes to who? It goes to Jesus. All the attention goes to to the, to the Lord. That's in Acts chapter 2. What were they speaking? The wonders of God. They were not talking about the wonders of themselves. God would have cut that off right away. But they were talking about the wonders of him. 
Are you loving the body? Are you, are you engaging your brain? Are you, are you obeying the word? Are you, are you communicating clearly? All that means is that it doesn't mean you have to have the big words. You just communicate what God's doing in your life and how the word has changed your life. And you just talk in normal language that anybody can understand. You talk in a, in a way that people, that people understand what you're saying. If you've ever been in a class, maybe in college or high school, uh, uh, yeah, one of those, you know, calculus or chemistry, and the teacher has gone on and on. Somebody raises their hands. Can you explain that again? And so what do they do? They don't use the same words again. They use more simple words. They bring the words down. And, and until what? Until the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, that's what you're saying. That's it. That's what God wants us as his people. Even in times like this, we have an awesome opportunity to clearly explain and to clearly communicate. And we don't have to go around and, and use these spiritual platitudes. We can honestly say, you know what? I'm a little nervous too. That's okay. We can go around and say, you know, I, I'm not certain about what's going to happen. That's okay. We're communicating clearly. But what I want to communicate was, even though it's uncertain times, I can trust a God who's got my future in his hands. Even though I'm perhaps anxious and worried, I can go to to Jesus. I can press into him. And I know that he's with me no matter what happens. Remember Psalm 23? It's your memory verse for last week. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, what does it say? You've abandoned me. What does it say? You are, what's the word? With me. Even though, and, and we have all those even those in life. There's even though I'm here. And we want to get out of here. But the promise is what? As a sheep, we have this great shepherd that even though we're here, God is with me. We have a tremendous opportunity as believers in these moments, in these times, to communicate clearly, normally. We don't have to brush off people and say, I'm just trusting Jesus. You can be honest. I'm a little worried. I'm a little concerned. I'm anxious. Yes, I'm even fearful. But but I want you to know that. But at the same time, I have a God I can trust. I have a God whose word is true. And what am I doing? I'm communicating clearly. So that unbelievers don't look at me like I'm crazy. Are you not worried about people who are sick and suffering? Because that's what it comes across like sometimes. Yes, I'm worried, but you know what? I pray. Alveda King, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's niece said this. We don't need to panic. We need to pray. Isn't that what we do? And in our moments of uncertainty, in our moments of fear, in our moments of anxiety, we can let people know that we are, we are all those things, even though I'm walking through that valley of whatever God is with me. And you know what people will say? Just like they told the Corinthians, they will say, wow, God is really among you. God is really with you. You just told me that you're anxious and you're fearful and you're a little concerned and you're a little worried. But look at you. You're not falling apart. God is really with you. And you know what they might say? How do I have God with me as well? How do I have what you have? Nobody wants what a crazy person has. You're off the rails. How do I get off the rails too? (laughs) No, what do we do? 
You are anxious and you're concerned? Yes. But even though God is with me, and we have a great opportunity to communicate the power and the difference that God makes in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for your word. Father, for the the ways that you um, have, have worked in our lives. Father, help us to be your people, even in, even in moments like this. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we were going to do some things a, a little different. One of the things that we're going to do as we moved offering to the end,